Alright, so we're going to be trying to prepare to understand the the Indian, the some of the Inyanam of Hanukkah. Um, we are very fortunate in Hanukkah to have an entire Sefer on it from the Maral. It's, it's a small Sefer, but it's filled with these sodos. So, um, it's a great source called Ner Mitzvah. Being that we're doing a multi-part series, it gives me the, the luxury to give a first little bit of a backdrop to the entire concept of the Arba Malchius, which is uh, Yavan is one of the uh, of the halakim of the Arba Malchius. So Maral himself does this. So we'll we'll follow his uh, his role. And uh, try to understand well, the concept of the Arba Malchus. Why is there Arba Malchus? Where do they come from? We, we, we mention it all the time, Arba Malchus, right? Uh, but but uh, is, it a, is it a coincidence? Or is it end up being four? It could, could have been three, could have been five. Um, maybe there's going to be more later on. Um, what is it exactly? So, first of all, an important thing to understand is very big things, very, very big things. Um, we can not only assume that it's not random, but we can even figure out, uh, using the Torah, obviously, and Chazal, uh, figure out why they are the way they are, which means... Um, this is something the moral says often. Something this big is not going to be bimikra. It's not a happenstance. Okay? Now, some of you might have heard the concept that, well, no, well, actually nothing is, uh, is a happenstance, right? Uh, well, Hashem knows, Hashem knows and everything and, uh, and even, you know, leaf blowing along the street as you walk in front of you is, uh, is also not a happenstance. Uh, that, you know, that's true to a certain very on a very very particular level that, that is true however the Ramchal and Dasunu says that that is something that we will never understand even Olam Abol will never understand certain such questions as why did that one leaf pull across the you know the street or why did that fly you know fly land on the window and then fly away or whatever it is right so that has to do with Hashem's infinite knowledge which is completely beyond man however seeing Ashgacha <coughs> As Hashem runs the world, that um, is something that we will have an insight into in Olam Haba, into all such things. But very big things, the Hashgacha is much more in a, in a revealed way, where Hashem is very hands-on, so with really, really big things, important things for Klausrel, for humanity, that's never going to be the Mikra. That's a foundational idea, just... Uh, Worthwhile, take one minute to mention that. Okay, so um, so we'll start off with a unbelievable pasuk. I remember, I remember many, many years ago already um, talking about. I was in my, my senior year of university, so that would be uh, twenty. 20 or, or, or two, 
19 years ago, 19 years ago, something like that. I was learning Sefer Daniel, right? Reading Sefer Daniel in English, of course. And there's, there's all these fascinating things. There's this dream that that, uh, that Daniel has. And he says that I'm, that I'm standing there in my night dream and I'm seeing that the four winds are blowing, storming up the sea, and out of the sea come out these four beasts, right? And, and it describes them as we're going to go on, and, and I remember thinking to myself, like, wow, I cannot imagine the depth that there is of this, right? And uh, the moral is going to talk about it. And they actually open up some of these secrets for us about it. So it's a really a very beloved part of the safer because uh, it just shows, yes, there's this unbelievable depth, and obviously we're not even scratching the surface, it just keeps on going and more and more and more. Um, so, so yes, so Daniel is having these dreams, he sees the four winds, and I'm going to be Medaic in all the language, because the language, obviously, of the Navi is very important, right? So there are four winds that are stirring up the sea. And out of the sea come out four beasts. And they're different, this one, from that one. The first one is a lion with wings of an eagle on, the, on his back. And I saw, and I, while I was watching, that its feathers were plucked from it, and it was removed from the earth, um, and it was placed on its on its feet like a man, and it was given a heart of a man. Uh, to think, to be able to think like a man. That's that's the first beast. Then, as I continue to watch, then the second beast, which was like a like a bear, uh, came up, and it stood off to one side, and there were three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said to it, get up and go and eat lots of flesh. Then, um, as, again, as I watched, there was a, like a leopard, and on its back were four sets of wings, and it has four heads. And dominion was given over it. What was given to it? It was given dominion over rulership. After this, I saw in a night vision, which now means he's saying again. He's telling he's having a dream, even though we already we're talking about he has a dream, seemingly alluding to a second dream. Now, I saw in a night vision, and behold, a fourth beast. Uh, terrifying and, and uh, scary and very powerful um, with iron teeth and 
it was eating and devouring everything, crumbling it up, grinding it up, and then trampling it with its feet. And it was different from all the other beasts that came before us. It will stop here. He'll re- we'll revisit the, the dream of the Neil as to what happens with them, etc. But, um, <clears throat> so what do we see over here? We see that the four winds are what stirred the sea to bring out the four beasts. And the four beasts are not similar one to the other. Now, so, if I would have thought, if I would have been told that the four beasts are not similar to one to another, wouldn't I have already identified one looks like a lion, one looks like a bear, one looks... It's obvious, right? It's obvious that they're not similar to one Why does the Neil have to tell me in the dream that the four winds were storming up the sea, and four beasts came out, and they were different one from the other. Seemingly alluding, says the morale, to the fact that the four winds are the source for all, for the four beasts. Means if you think about it, right, the causality is that because the four winds are stirring up the sea, right, that's what causes these four beasts to come out. Now, the four winds of the world are... You know, like our Baruch Hashem, the, the four directions of the world, the four winds of the world are uh, a, a fundamental aspect of the world. In fact, Chazal uh, uh, say that if, that, if, that if not for the four winds of the world, the world couldn't exist. You, you, you couldn't live, right? Each one does an instrumental part. This one causes, you know, things to grow, and this one causes things to dry out. And this is a part of the world, right? So, so. And yet they're and and they're the ones that are storming up the sea and comes out four individual beasts as a result of the four winds, obviously saying that the four beasts, which are an allusion to the four exiles, are really rooted in the Arbaruchas Olam, in the in the four winds of the world. Which means in the in the foundational building blocks of the world itself lies the root for the emergence of the four exiles. Okay? That's the morale showing us that we're seeing this in the dream itself. Now, besides that, we could go look at a Gemora. Um, actually, it's a Mechilta. The Reish Lakish Darshan's the Pasuk. The Ha'aretz Haisa Tohu Vavohu Choshek Apneetahom. So four, four expressions of uh, what the world was prior to the Maisa Bereshis. Right means prior to Hashem saying, "Let there be light," and, and beginning to fix up the world, which is that the land was Tohu, means desolate. Tohu means bewildered, confused. Choshek uh, darkness. Apneetahom uh, abyss. This is like an endless pit. Yeah? So, says Reish Lakish, Tohu, that is Bavl, that's the first exile of Babylon, right? The, the thing that causes destruction, right? That's uh, desolation, that's, that's the, uh, that was uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Um, 
like like the Navi says, right, that after the after they came, after the Babylonians came and destroyed the base of Migdish, so so Yirmiyah is talking about that vision. He says, I see the land that it's all that it's all destroyed. It's all desolate. Right? Vohu um, is uh, confusion, bewilderment, right? That is um Parasomadai, that's the second exile, the, the Persian exile, uh, that we see an allusion to that, that when when Akashverish rushes Haman to be dragged, you know, to be taken in front of him with Esther towards the end over there, so it says, uh, so it says a language, Vaivahalu Lahadias Haman. They, 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 they hurried him, they, they caused the Vahalu, they caused him stirring in the confusion. Um, in, in bringing him, so you see there, uh, Rish Lakish finds there a remit to the, that the second exile has to do with um, with Vohu. Choshech is Yavan. That that's the Greeks says Rish Lakish. Um, they darkened the eyes of the Jewish people with their decrees which we're going to have to understand you know that's like we, we, there's no verse to allude to it obviously because the Greek exile was there's no prophetic writings having to do with uh, with the Greek exile with the, with the Greek exile with the, with the struggle against them as well right it's all oral but uh, but the oral tradition that we have is that they torture the Jewish people with their evil decrees. So that so they represent darkness. And the abyss, the endless abyss, is the fourth exile, the Roman exile, which, like as I'll say, uh, there's no there's seemingly no end in sight, right? Unlike all the other exiles, which were fairly limited in 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 time and scope. Um, the um, the Roman exile, as we see, uh, is like is like an abyss uh, that seems to have no end. Okay, so um, and and the uh, Rishlagim says, what was this decree that they said that the that the Greeks made against us that darkened our eyes, that they said to us, Kislu al Kerna shore, write for yourselves on the um, horn of an axe. They have no portion in the God of Israel. Okay, so then, and I already said what the fourth one was. And then Rachel Akish continues and says, And the spirit of, of Hashem, that's the spirit of Mashiach, the coming of Mashiach, which will come after the four, the four exiles. That is Merachephes Alpneyamayim. Merachephes means it's uh, hovering, kind of checking out, it's interested in. It uh, depends on the Mayim. Mayim says Rish Lakish is uh, an allusion to Shuva, to repentance. Um, like the Pasik says, Shavchi Kemaim Libecha, that I spilled out my heart to you like water. Right? So that's when we just kind of throw it all out there. That's an allusion to Shuva, leaving no, having no. Um, arrogance, no, no, nothing, just total subjugation, total humility in front of Hashem. That's mine. That's what's going to ultimately fix it. So, if you that as it may, so we see that Chazal has seen allusions to the four exiles in 
the very first sukim of, of Bereshus. I mean, this is from the very beginning, from the roots of the entire existence, you see that uh, allusion to the four exiles. So, it's, it, it's a very strong question that has to be answered, um, which we already, you know, we kind of asked it before about, well, why is it four? It's not a coincidence. We pointed out that in the dream of Daniel, it seems to be caused by the four winds, which means that's something that uh, is a part of the basic framework of the world. And now we see Mirish Lakish telling us it's actually alluded to in, in, in Mamish, the first Parsha of, 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 of uh, Briya's Olam. Right, so this is difficult. We, we are led to believe we, we, we generally speaking speak about these things as uh, listen. The Jewish people sinned, and therefore uh, you know you you have you have the, you have the exiles, right? Um, and of course, that's right to a certain extent. So, which one is it? Is it the result of our mistakes and kind of a bad turn that the world took? But if so, A, it could have never happened, and B, certainly didn't have to be, you know, four times, maybe it could have been less times, maybe maybe it'll just keep on happening more and more, maybe it'll be six, seven, eight, right? But we see, no, we see it's four, and we see the four are programmed into the fabric of, of, of the world itself. How does the water fit in terms of, like, is it... The tshuva? Right, right, because is it that the beasts are supposed to initiate uh, tshuva with polystyrene? Like, how does that fit with, like, the beasts coming out of the water? Different, uh, different analogies. It's an important point, important learning point, not an important point for what we're doing, but an important learning point is the Ramkal says that whenever we use analogies, yeah, everything always has to be taken with it, within the framework that this particular marshal is being used in, right? So, for example, if I'm talking about the four beasts rising out of the water, and I'm certainly seeing the water as being some sort of a, you know, um, source, you know, uh, causing the the generation of these of these of these of these beasts, right? That's obviously going to be some sort of a negative thing. We'll see exactly what that is. Okay. Whereas, well, if I'm seeing that the Ruach HaLokim, I've got this terrible, you know, uh, uh, desolation, bewilderment, darkness, abyss, but then I have, um, you know, but the Spirit of, of Hashem is, is hovering over this water. So what does that tell you about the water? The water is something good, something positive, right? So in this case, the water means something very different than over there. Right, so people get this confused all the time, right? So sometimes because I'll say, "Ain, ain Maim Melatora," right? Maim um, means uh, uh, speaks to Torah, alludes to Torah, right? And yet, in other places, we see that Moshe Rabbeinu specifically, he's the one that, that he's. We know from the beginning he's gonna die in water, right? He, the astrologers of Paro saw so he's gonna die in water. So water is the opposite of, of, of Torah. Opposite of right? Torah is described as a being a Eishachora al Gabi Eishlavona, right? It's a black fire on top of white fire. So which one is this? Torah water is fire. Point is, within every analogy, you have to look at it within that framework, right? Like a Ramchal uh, says that when you have a, a dream, right? So within a certain kind of things make sense, but then things mold, and now all of a sudden the, the, the one figure that used to mean one thing in this context now it means. Something totally different, right? What does a lion mean? Does it mean this or does it mean that? It depends what the other pieces involved are. So that's a very 
tricky point about learning Agadita and you have to uh, kind of always deal with the system that, that's in front of you. So it's an um, important learning point. But I don't know if we're going to get to deal with it properly here, but just just so you should know. Very good question. Okay. So, so the point is that we're seeing here an analogy, uh, an allusion to the Arba Malchus in the very uh, source of, uh, of of the creation of the world itself. Okay, says the moral like this. Yeah, yeah. So, so what it, so what it is. Hmm? Is that? We're, we're getting to the Hanukkah part. We're getting to the Hanukkah part yeah. slowly. <laughs> Meaning, uh, today, today the plan is to understand the general concept of of Golos and to understand how the Arba Golius together combine to make a whole system. Then, next week we'll zoom in on. Um, Specifically, Yavan, which is the third of them, but you can't, you cannot look at Yavan separate from the rest of them. The Aramalchus, as we're seeing here, is is is, is an entity. Yeah. The, the, the four exiles, Aramalchus. Okay. Um, okay. So. Um, so first of all, obviously there is a difference between things being in potential and being actualized, right? And that's that's always going to be the difference. Is um, on the one hand, we know the Shlomo says, "Ain kol chadesh takas Hashemish." There's nothing new under the sun. On the other hand, there's uh, you know our, our actions are are determining factors in in, in, in in things that happen, right? So so the answer is that something can be programmed in that there's this possibility or there's even this strong inclination towards something like we're seeing over here in the hearts I said Tohu Vovohu Vokosha at home. So we see that it's already all there, right? But it, and you got the four winds, right? But is it going to cause, is going to lead to the emergence of them from the water? That's up to, that, that's going to depend on Klausel's behavior. In fact, um, A, if, if, we, if, we, if we merit, then they, then they don't actually have to be actualized fully. It could be just challenges that are overcome, four different types of challenges that Klausel would have had that would have been overcome. If they're not overcome and they're manifest fully, in, with all their power, that would be the four exiles. So today we know them as Bavel, Parasumodai, Yavon, and Rome. Romi, yeah? But let's say theoretically, if, uh, you know, David and Shlomo and, you know, that would have, would have, uh, or, you know, you could go back as far as you want. If Adam would have never sinned, or if, uh, if, if Kazar wouldn't have sinned with a Heta Eagle, or, we wouldn't sit with the Miraglim and Moshe would have come into Israel or if Shlomo wouldn't have sinned any of those stages so it would have been it would have been those four types of challenges these are four basic deviations from the uh, from balance four imbalances four potential imbalances and those exist from the Sheshit Mebrashis 
from the six days of creation. Okay? Now, when, when we make enough mistakes and they're played out, you know, to their fullest, then, um, you know, then they take on the title of an actual um, empire, right? That rules over the world. That's if we, like, you know, really um, make the full, uh, all the mistakes that cause them to be expressed that much, which we did, and therefore we see them as such, right? But but the allusion to them in the, in the very roots of creation, that was there from the beginning. Okay? Sure. Robert. What is it about like Sorry, Rish Lakish. Sorry, Rish Lakish was the person who, who expounded the, the verse. He was the, he was the Torah scholar. Huh? What, what, is it, what is it about the fourth term of the analogy that means it has to be treated in a second term? Oh, that's a great question. We will address that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That was a, yeah, I stressed that on purpose. That, that will be addressed. No, 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 no. This is hopefully, hopefully, Bez Hashem, we were planning, I don't know if it will happen, we were planning to cover the four exiles, all of them today. And that, and that, would, have, that would have explained. So let, let's, let's see. We're going to hit the gas, if need be. I want to cover that today, so that next week we'll start zooming in exclusively on Yavon. Um <coughs> So first of all, just to understand, right? Um, why is it four? Why the number four? So, if, um, if 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 I take a, a a drop of water and I drop it on this table, right, and it splats, right, it's going to spread out in the four directions, right? So I had a central point that when they encountered I had a singularity, right? I had a mathematical singularity when it spreads out in in the in the world that we know which we cannot think of in this world we can't think in, in one dimension. That's not that's not relevant to think in one dimension. We can think in two dimensions, means to say on a flat piece of paper. Right? And that is the most basic way to look at things is the four directions of the world. Four directions is, in other words, saying two dimensions. Well, you you use you use abstract you you just use abstract concepts, right? Good and evil or whatever those are abstract concepts. But nothing physical, nothing in this world. There's nothing in this world that we know to be one dimensional. Even the thinnest line must have some width. Yeah? Um, so, but 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 uh, but but a drawing of something, right? A depiction of something is two dimensional. So, the four directions of the world, right, is really the the, the the world that we live in. We can ignore the height of it, you know, the, the, the up and down, right? That's that's an extra that's an extra dimension which will bring the direction to six, which we often do. But the bare bones minimum is how to look at things is four. 
which is why we call the four the four directions of the world the Arbaruch Hasolim, the four winds. Yeah. Um, so it means those are if you're gonna have deviations from the central point, they're gonna, there's gonna be four of them. The, the, the bare bone, the, 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 the minimum amount of deviations will be four. And each one of the exiles is in one way or another is one of those directional deviations. Right? So, um, for example, um, at, there's, there's obviously infinite number of ways to be wrong, right? Um, there's only one way to be right. There's only one truth, and there's, you know, from one point you can draw an infinite number of lines pointing away from it. Many ways to go away from the truth. Yeah, that's the points coming back. Exactly. Good job, Asher. Very nice. That's right. Elo Jacob Chaim is that every person who is elsewhere, which we in this world are, we are all kind of standing in a different perspective, right? We're right now sitting around this round table, right? We're all looking at this tissue box in the middle, right? Each one of us has a different perspective at it, right? So, Elu, for Elu, right? So, it means your perspective on this tissue box and my perspective, although they are different, if you were to describe it, you know, you're looking at the flat part of it, I'm looking at the diagonal part from the, from the end, from the edge, right? But we're both right. And thanks to all of our perspectives, we put together that image which is in the middle, right? So that's, but if you're splintering away, then that's a deviation from, from the truth, right? So, so, but even though there's going to be an infinite number of arrows you could draw away from there, right? But there's four fundamental ones. And, and, that, and that's the, Arbor, that's the Arboruchos, that's the four winds, and they're the ones that generated, they're the source for the, genera- the making of the four beasts. Okay, um, so now let's talk about the beasts themselves because we're we're not going to have time to to do all this. Um, so first, I just want to give my my own analogy to this. Is um, what does it mean a deviation from the truth? It means let's say, for example, I say to you. I have a car, right? I have a car. You know why? You know why I have a car? Because I need a way to get around. That's why I have a car, right? Now, does anybody here know anyone that has a Sahara when it comes to their car? They maybe spent a little bit too much money on their car for some reason or another, or know someone, or you heard of somebody? Yes. Okay, you've heard of somebody. So, so one option is a person could have, and I'll, I'll let you guys figure out what they are. One option, a person could, have, could go and buy a Rolls Royce. One option. Option number two, he could buy himself a stretch limo. Option number three, he could buy himself a Ferrari. Right? Option number four is he could become a race car driver. Okay? What are we solving for? 
these correspond to the four deviations in the world. Okay? Which means all of them are leaving the point of the car being a vehicle for me to get from point A to point B. Right? But the question is how? So, why would someone pay, you know, whatever it is, I don't know how much a Rolls Royce costs, but it was like $400,000 or something? Like half a million. Why would someone pay half a million dollars for a Rolls Royce? Is it the fastest car on the road? No? Is it the, is it the, the most luxurious? No. Stretch limousine is, is more luxurious, right? Stomach. You can lie down, there's a bed, there's a you know, uh, jacuzzi, right? So, why would someone buy a Rolls Royce? Status. Status, covered, honor, right? Good, honor. Okay. Stretch limo, taiva. Desire for physical pleasure, right? What does that have to do with a car? You're supposed to get from point A to point B. No, I need to, to be drinking my champagne while, while I'm in the car, right? Uh, okay. Right? Ferrari is excitement, right? Uh, doing something, accomplishing something, you know, like doing this, this going uh, 160 miles an hour, right, uh, in, in 10 seconds, right? So that's, uh, what does that do with getting from point A to point B, right? Now notice something interesting. The fourth example I gave was a race car, was, was race car driving. Why is that? Why is race car driving different from the first three examples that I gave? Exactly. And, and it's just that something else has latched on. I mean, I'm still going from point A to point B. Very good, right? But but there but it, but it's a perverted way of doing it. I mean, you need to go from point A, point, from point a to point B. It's very easy, you know. Five thousand dollars, you have a car, you, you can take care of it, right? You don't need. Uh, a half a million dollar car for that, right? But okay, but you're still going somewhere, right? But race car driving is you lost the plot, you lost the point. Meaning the the side things completely usurped the actual thing. You're not even going anywhere anymore, right? You, you, it, now it's become a thing in itself. That's going to be the fourth exile. That's going to be the Roman exile. See, when I thought of race car driver, though, I thought, like, okay, now you're in control. You were, like, <laughs> like uh, Well, you always could. All, all of these cars you were driving. That's wrong. You were driving yeah, all, all these cars. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, so, like this. So, the morale says that um, all these exiles, right, they all combine together. Even though here we saw them as four separate beasts. But in the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, he sees all four of them as a statue. He sees one statue, the statue of Nebuchadnezzar, which has a golden head, it has silver chest and arms, it has bronze um, belly and um, loins and thighs, it has iron uh, calves and ankles, and uh, it has earthen toes. Okay? So, the, so here we see that all four of them, that's why I thought it was important to discuss them, right? Because really they all combine together to make one thing. What's that? The, the, the five, five substances that are used over there. Good. So, but the, that's because Rome, we're going to see, is, is both iron and 
clip. Yeah. So, uh, so all four of them combine together to make this one thing. Why? Because really, man. Again, we're talking about man, right? We're talking about where can man go, right? What? Where can man go wrong? So let's let's analyze how many parts does man have. Just like when we saw in the world, there's four directions of the world, right? So too in man, there's going to be this many parts, right? So man has a seichel, man has a emotions, which tomorrow we'll call nefesh, right? Um, man has physical drives, right? Then there is the man himself, meaning man is not his intellectual drive, it's not his emotional drive, it's not his physical drive, it's the one who is possessed with those three drives. Those three powers are in man, in the man himself. Those are the four. Now the truth is that there's a fifth one, which is transcendent from all of them, and that's the neshama. That's our soul. That's the spirituality that's above everything. That's that one point. That, that was that drop, that I, the drop of water that I dropped on the table that splattered into four directions, right? That's the that's the mathematical point. That's the thing. That's the one up above that's really supposed to tie them all together. Okay, and that is what Daniel then goes on to see in his dream is once all four of them are um, three of them are demoted in their power and turned into flesh and blood and the fourth one is killed and burnt right and, uh, and, and, and there's the image of a man that comes there's the image of a man that's the image of Mashiach that's Malchu that's the kingship of, of the Jewish people that comes and that's the image of man. That's the, that's the that's the neshama that's coming in. So the um, so that's that's the the four parts that when they when they are when they run the show by themselves, then it's all deviations. Each one of them pulling in each direction, right, is a deviation from the central point from the from the closest to Hashem which is the fifth point and says and we see this illusion the fight between the four and the five in a number of places right the four kings and the five kings right so Abraham, so the four kings are the the four evil kings now, not to say that the five kings were much better but Abraham you know basically takes the the the, 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 um, the side of the five kings right and he, he goes to, to fight against the four kings, right? The four kings took Lot captive. Some some Forshim say that they thought this was Abraham because Lot looked like Abraham, right? So the four kings, the four, says the Maral Gvurus Hashem, the four represents the Arbaruch Hashalavim, the four, the four uh, deviations. The fifth is the central point that's really meant to tie them all together, pull them all, uh, give them all a purpose and a meaning, right? As opposed to just being each one on its own. Right? Um, this is, uh, we see this concept all over, I, I just throw out a couple of terms, right? The Dalit is, Dal is impoverished, um, the, the, 
the letter Hey is the name of Hashem, the last letter in the name of Hashem, which represents a Dalet with a Yud inside of it. So the Dalet is the four. That's the four kingships of the world. If by itself that's impoverished, that's 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 terrible. That's lacking everything. It's lacking anything. But if you put a central point in there, you put a Yud, which is just a mathematical point. Right, a yud has no size to it. You can make just a little di- tiny dot. That's enough for you. And you put that in there, ties the four together. That gives you five. Okay, that, that's the letter H. So, um, so the four beasts now are Nebuchadnezzar represents arrogance. That's why he's the lion. The, the, the first beast is the lion with eagle's wings. Eagle flies the highest. Lion is the proudest. He's the king, right? And that's why he's the head of the statue. He's the, on top. We're going to come back to it. It's a little bit of a kasha with the statue. Um, but, uh, so Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, pride, that's, that's the lion. Um, the, uh, then, the Persians, is Taiva, that's the bear. The bear is an animal that's always roving for food, it's fat, it's, it's, it loves to eat, it's, uh, it's out constantly looking for anything, it's an omnivore, it'll eat anything, it just wants more and more. That's the, that's the Persians. Um, the Greek is the, is the leopard. The leopard is brazen. It's the most brazen of all the animals, which we will explain next time why that represents seichel, intellect. We'll explain that next time. We're not going to get to it now. Uh, and the fourth one is the, is the beast of destruction, which doesn't have a name to it. It's just a, it's a, it's a monster, really. Uh, that's Rome, which is the culmination of all the three that, that came before. I just want to um, usher pointed out you know, the connection to the, that Nebuchadnezzar would be the golden head, which Daniel says explicitly, Ata, uh, you are the golden head to Nebuchadnezzar. So just to understand, because it seems like a little bit of a cachet, if we're saying that Yavan, that Greece, is the intellect, and Babylon is really arrogance, so okay, so that should be so you'd expect for Babylon to be the the chest the heart, right? And you'd expect for Greece instead of being the uh, the, the lower down the loins, the the belly and the loins which is made out of copper, you'd expect for that to be up on top of the head. See, this is true, uh, but the statue is built according to different configurations. Statue is built from the most powerful driving man down to the least powerful. And the most powerful driving man is his emotions, not his intellect. Even though our intellect is our loftiest part of us, but it's actually one of the weakest motivators. And the Bali Muslim talk about this all the time, right? A person can know something intellectually a hundred times over and still go ahead and do that same thing, right? Uh, a guy knows he's going to get lung cancer from this thing and he keeps on smoking anyway, right? So, uh, so that's why on top is the emotions. That's, that's the, the, the gaiva, the arrogance of Nebuchadnezzar. That's the head. That's, that's on top. And then the next, second most motivating factor is the silver, which is, which is Akashvenu representing Taivas Aguf, the, the physical drives of the body. That's the second most powerful motivator. The third, the least powerful motivator that the person has 
is the intellect. So those, the loftiest, but it's the weakest. That's why, that's the copper, that's the third one down from the three powers, right? Um, then the, the, the fourth exile is the kolol, it's, it's what brings all the evil of all of them. It extracts, you know, the entire person stands on his legs. Right? So that means you take the evil from Babylon, leave the good, just the evil. Right, you take the evil from from from, from Persia, and you take the evil from Yavon. Take all three of those together, and you got the destroying beast of of Rome. That's that's the one that we're living in now. Just so um, so that's so that's the four of them, um, and then and then and then that's why. Um, for Daniel, really, these are beasts. This is lacks the true humanity, the true Tzalamalukim, the true Neshama, it lacks that. Nebuchadnezzar, who doesn't recognize what hum- true humanity really is, for him, in his dream, it appears in the statue of a man. But even for him, notice, it's really, it's a, it's a statue made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, it's, another, it's in the shape of a man, but primarily it's a, it's, it's a statue of, made up of valuable materials. It's really physicality. Whereas the image, the image of man that the Neil sees, that, that's Mashiach, it's all this is image. There's no physicality. It's an image, it's a spiritual thing, it's a conceptual thing, it's not a physical thing. That's, I mean, even in their perspective of seeing man, they see man differently than, than, than we do. That's the source of the four exiles, that's the seeing how they interact. And then Hashem, next week we will start discussing Yavan, the the leopard, the the representing intellect, um, bronze, uh, and the third exile. Okay. Looking forward. Thank you for coming. And Rome is described as in a separate dream because it is the uh, culmination of all the evil from all the other ones. It corresponds. You take all three of them on one side of the scale. You take it on the other side of the scale, and it has in a way the same because it's the it's the uh, essence of the evil of all three of them put together in a separate thing. That's why it's like to show you that it equals like a separate dream just for it. They get a separate dream and he gets a separate dream. Yeah, that's why the goal is the longer? The, the goal is when you put all three of them together it becomes full evil then the goal is kind of endless. Unless Lovely. something else happens. Yeah,